What's up, folks? It's Tuesday, November 16th. It is episode 20 of Thoughts from the Shade. We talk about the Eagles' win over the Denver Broncos on Sunday. Uh, we examine the play of the quarterback, uh, the improved performance of the head coach, um, and everything else that went on in Mile High on Sunday. Um, we take a look at the rest of the season outlook for the Eagles and discuss a few things around the league in the NFL for Week 10. Uh, on the college side, we talk about the Penn State loss to Michigan and examine the head coach in Happy Valley. Uh, and then we take a look around college football in Week 11, um, the college football playoff landscape, comment on the committee, and give our own updated uh, Week 11 college football playoff rankings. And we'll close it out with a little Flyers talk and look forward to another week on the gridiron and another week of successful picks. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening, and we, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First, Menard Premium Detailing, the best auto detail company in Bucks County. They specialize in detailing luxury vehicles, but of course, the limits are endless. Menard services include protective film, ceramic paint coating, home coatings, caliper paint, and more. Check them out on Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. Also, big thanks to Shamrock Sun. This episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun, as well as Bombs Bone to Pick of the Week. Go to ShamrockSun.com and enter promo code SHADE in all caps when you're ready to pull the trigger on one of their big-ass bottles of sunscreen. Here we go. All right, here we go. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 20, another edition of Thoughts from the Shade. It's getting chilly out now. Check in on Bomb. What's going on, Bomb? What's happening, G? Big Monday, man. Now Tuesday, Eagles win. I hear the P word being thrown around. Do you hear the P word being thrown around by the people? I don't know. It's 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 only been a few hours. It's only been 24 hours, but I don't know. Is that is that a little too soon or what? I think you need to drop in the Jim Moore clip. We're talking about playoffs. Playoffs. Can I just give my own playoffs? Yeah, that that's the uh, we went from tanking for top 10 picks to playoffs in 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, I thought I feel like that's what people were thinking before the Chargers game, and, and that was going to be the result if we won that. And now we beat the Broncos, who are kind of a middling team, and everybody wants to jump on the on the P-word now, I guess. I do want to throw out a uh, – I haven't verified this, um, but I'm going to go on the record and I'm going to say it. Uh, the Eagles may very well be the only team in the NFL – that no longer has to board a plane the rest of the season. We got a lot of home games left. And the away games are like in New York, uh, you know, I think D.C. Um, so, I, you know, they are done with plane rides. I have not triangulated the uh, the, the NFL schedule to determine what the other teams are, are doing. But I'm going to come out and say it. only team in the NFL doesn't have to get on the plane the rest of the way. That has to count for something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when when you look at look at the schedule, you look at games to uh, 
to place a wager like like we do, and sometimes we do it well, but you definitely factor in the travel, right? And uh, the less travel, the better. And just to throw it back real fast before we start talking about the games uh, and the Eagles in particular, which we did have this week, can we give it up for Fade the Shade this week? I mean, come on, man. Two guys going 3-1 and one on Saturday. Um, I missed the clean sweep thanks to, to my Nittany Lions, and then we both had Eagles on Sunday. I went 3-1, and one, lost on Tennessee by a point. I think you had Tennessee as well. And then uh, we're recording this Monday evening, so your, your Rams pick is still outstanding, but I like that one too. But, you know, we reformatted a little bit, and we saw some, some success this weekend, and I, I just feel like we should recognize that, right? No, I appreciate the shout out. You know, obviously we've been picking big games. Uh, both of us picking big games has left us on the other side of many of these games. And, uh, you know, it, they haven't been games that I've loved. We've got, we've now changed up the format. We're picking games we like. We're picking winners that we like. And uh, nice to see some early success. So maybe we need to change the title of the segment. No longer fade the shade. Yeah, well, it's only one week. Let's not uh, let's not jump the gun here. We'll see we'll see how the next few weeks are going. But yeah, like you said, um, I mean, originally I think the idea was was to pick the big games, the ones everybody was going to watch, and especially me, didn't see a ton of successes. Are usually you know the most bet games in the uh, gambling community. Uh, so so Vegas makes those the toughest, I'll say. And now we're we're just going on our own. We're not we're not picking the same games. We're we're diving a little deeper into the board and then trying to find some winners. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep that route going forward and, and hope it nets some more, some more success, but just had to call that out. And uh, yeah, it, it feels good to, to put together a winning week. And like I said, we both had the Philadelphia Eagles this week. I believe we had it at two and a half. Didn't matter. Eagles win big in Denver at mile high, 30 to 13 on Sunday. Um, I mean, I guess really just a quick recap, the first half, good balance on offense. Eagles got out to a pretty good lead. And then the second half, you know, the Eagles just controlled the game on the ground. Defense made some stops. You had the, the big tutty from big play slay uh, that, that kind of busted it open. And the Eagles cru- cruised to a victory. Um, Bomb. I mean, what, what are your key takeaways? Well, I think pregame, we were texting back and forth. The line moved from Eagles getting two and a half to even money by kickoff. And I think the exact quote I, I sent to you in a in a group chat was, that tells me Eagles by three scores. You did say that. That was a hell of a call, man. So we still- uh, we were on the right side. Um, I, you know, I don't know, G, is this... Is is this the new Nick Sirianni? I mean, we talked about the idea that perhaps he was sandbagging ownership early in the season, throwing it 50 times a game just to prove a point. And it just it just seems like a totally new offense. They're running the ball. They're not only running the ball, they're spreading the carries around. You know, we, we saw early in the season that Gainwell and, and Sanders were kind of barely even touching the ball. You know, now it's Howard and, and Boston Scott. I loved uh, the screen game early with 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 Boston Scott getting him out in space and just making some people miss. Um, I I don't know. I mean, is it is it crazy to be optimistic by by the coaching on the offensive side of the ball? This is a couple weeks in a row where we see we see them really be super super efficient. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's I I think there's room for optimism. 
Uh, there's reason for hope. You look at the Detroit game, and obviously that was against a, a really bad team, but they ran, ran the shit out of the ball. And then they have a tougher opponent last week against the Chargers, and they're running the ball well again. Uh, defense just couldn't get off the field and give them one more crack at the at the can or one more kick at the can to win that game. And then yesterday you really only needed a, a game plan for the first half, and there was a lot of balance. Spread the ball around. I mean, Hertz was sharp, and they were running the ball, like you said, getting the ball to Scott. Um, but no, lot lot of room for optimism. You have to you have to give a little bit of credit to Nick Sirianni because he's clearly adjusted uh, from early in the season. So definitely some progress there. Not not ready to put him in the Hall of Fame or or call him Lombardi or anything, but you got to give the guy credit for for adjusting and and there, it's definitely a better product on the field. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say, just more on probably the uh, the relationship building side of 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 being a head coach, um, you saw the reaction by Devontae Smith on on one of his touchdown catches where he scores and runs towards the Eagles sideline with his arms draped below his. Uh, his scrotum, uh, I believe, uh, attempting to reenact the uh, the phrase that I guess Sirianni and the boys had been had been uh, talking about during the week. You know, letting letting them hang low, flying loose, so to speak. And uh, anytime you have you have a young player like that coming from a program like Alabama, buying into that that type of uh, of culture, that type of thought process, and then you know basically uh, <laughs> signaling to the coach like like let's go. Um, I mean, that that's super encouraging for a guy who's a younger coach. Granted, you know, Smith is a rookie, so you'd expect him to look up to coaching a bit more than maybe some of the veterans. But with him being a difference maker and him doing that immediately after a score, I mean, that, that tells me there's some really good things, uh, really good things that, that Sirianni's attempting to build there in the locker room. Absolutely. And can we can we do the T-shirt, guys, down at the link, outside at the link at the tailgates a favor and maybe Photoshop that, that snap or that, that shot of uh, Devante Smith with the hands down there and then maybe get Ben Simmons face in between his hands down in that region. It would be a very simple, simple switch from their current offerings down there in South Philadelphia. So yeah, always nice to add new products to the, uh, to the product line with those guys down there. Maybe we get it in green, maybe we get it in black, we get Smith, we get one without Smith. A lot of different options for the uh, the guys who are screen printing down in South Philly. Nah, but uh, to your point, I mean, uh, I, I hear you, and and I feel like earlier in the year I I kind of said that it was concerning when when you have guys like Smith and Dickerson coming in from Alabama, obviously playing for the great Nick Saban, uh, the tight ship and and great program that he runs, and then coming into this young guy, rookie head coach, not not a ton of uh, street cred, so to speak, and you you don't know how guys are going to react, but but clearly, you know, that that demonstration on Sunday after the touchdown, um, you know, they're, they're kind of vibing a little bit. And e- even uh, there was an article that came out last late last week talking about, you know, Friday nights that Sirianni and Hertz are spending together. So, I mean, they're 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 trying to mesh. They're trying to gel and, and, and get chemistry and build relationships. And as important as it is to have talent on the field, which, I mean, we, we don't have elite talent in the NFL, but um, there's an X factor, and that's that's building relationships and chemistry and, um, you know, co- coming together to, to do something bigger than yourself as a team. Yeah, and, and your point on the Hurts and, and Sirianni, uh, Friday Friday night dates, you know, outworking the opponent, right? We had, we had a quarterback who was here for a number of years who got the bag. He wore number 11, 
And uh, do you think he was spending his, uh, you know, his 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 evening hours uh, working with Doug on how to improve his footwork, how to how to maybe slice and dice up the defense? I don't think so. He was home with wifey. He was cooking up the bison burgers. Um, he was changing shitty diapers. He was taking the dogs out for a walk. This guy did nothing more than what was required of him. As I said last year on uh, Philadelphia's radio airwaves, I said he was a nine to five fucking quarterback. Okay. He was a nine to five fucking. I got laughed at. People let, oh, no, nine, nine to five quarterback who just wanted to fucking dig holes in his front yard. We finally have a guy who's willing to put in the time, punch the clock, do the overtime, and put in the work. And you'll love to see it. Hashtag untamed, hashtag rare breed. 100%. Hashtag y'all want to win, put booby in. The the other thing that that uh, I thought about Sirianni, and I believe it was it was after the game, or maybe it was the Monday morning presser, and I'm starting to think that the the flower and the you know the root and the growing comment or, or metaphor might be rock bottom for for old Nick. He uh, when when talking about Darius Slay's fumble recovery touchdown, he said that the Eagles and I guess the way they coach it, they have they have a metaphor for fumbles, right? So they have the city fumble and they have the the suburb fumble where the city fumble is there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of guys around the football. You just want to fall on it, right? But the suburban fumble is there's not really anybody around. So if you can scoop it up and run with it, you're you're free to do that. And to be honest, I mean, I didn't play football at a high level by any means. So so maybe oh, it's more. Listen, don't sell is, yourself short here. I mean, you is were, it, were you the backup quarterback at Holly Kong? I was a middle school backup quarterback. I threw a touchdown in seventh grade, uh, probably about 75 or 80 yards. The ball traveled maybe about six yards, and uh, my, my buddy ran it in for, for about 75. Oh, you know, you're a you're a Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick-type quarterback. You, you know, get, the, get the ball to a guy in space. It's easy, man. I don't know how that career didn't pan out, but um, <laughs> what was I saying? I, I, I was going to say I've never heard that analogy or that, that metaphor before, and maybe it's – more common uh, in football and, and in locker rooms and amongst teams and coaches. But I, I thought that was a good one compared to the, uh, compared to the flowers a few weeks back. Yeah. And obviously the, the metaphors uh, hit a little different after a win than they do a, a losing streak. So uh, no one wants to hear about planting seeds when you're, uh, you know, getting run out of the building, so to speak against uh, superior opponents. But when you get a win on the road at Denver in altitude, against a team that just blew out Dallas. Give me every metaphor you got. For sure. And I, I don't know what to, what to make of Denver. They were obviously off the, the big win against Dallas. Um, but th- they're good to play a really good game, and they're, they're good to play a really bad game. I don't think they were particularly great yesterday. I mean, there was a number of instances where they had um, chunk plays or like a Javante Williams touchdown run for about 15, 20 yards. That got called back. Uh, they shot themselves in the foot a bunch of times with penalties. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the defense and Gannon and evaluating that side of the ball, what what did you see there? Because I, I didn't take a ton away on, on defense. Obviously, you had the turnover and the score, which is always good to get points from the defense. But I saw a Broncos offense that, that was anemic and incompetent and just continuously shooting themselves in the foot uh, with missed opportunities and penalties. I totally agree. I mean, how much of this can you really can you really say was the defense? The Broncos moved the ball between the 20s. I think they got in the red zone, what, five times? They converted once. 
So is that sustainable? Um, you know, Gannon would want you to believe that he's building kind of a bend but don't break defense, but the Eagles just they they have bent, they have broken. They uh he hasn't shown a willingness to kind of uh change things up. Oddly, you know, this game, at least from what I saw, you know, to the untrained eye, felt like they played a little more press coverage. Um, they weren't giving up as much kind of like underneath stuff, particularly when they got down in the red zone. So it makes you wonder like why does he let the elite quarterbacks just pick him apart? And then against these like middle of the road slash journeymans slash slash stiffs. Why is that when he decides to kind of change things up? It's just so bizarre. Yeah. He's more aggressive against the the lesser QB. And I guess that's because the, the risk of giving up the big play is lower, but I mean, when you see Teddy two gloves and mile high throwing ducks and, Balls with no zip, you know, over the middle of the field. Um, I'd be confident too to to, to bring press coverage and, and bring pressure and whatnot. But you make you make a good point there. Um, other thing I thought about was, that I think they only had one sack in the game, but I feel like the defensive line played a pretty nice game. Um, got some pressure in some situations where they needed it, uh, which they really lacked against the Chargers and other tough games throughout the season. So I think this was a game that was kind of one on the line of scrimmage between the D line kind of holding its own and then the offensive line doing its thing and really shutting the door in the second half. Um, It was kind of frustrating watching them just continuously run the ball in the second half. Um, I think Hertz only attempted three passes. So that, that was kind of tough to watch, but when, when you want to win the game and you you're running the ball, I mean, why go away from it? You saw Hertz throw the pick in the second half. Granted, it wasn't wasn't completely his fault. It looked like a miss, missed assignment by Gainwell or one of the O linemen. Um, but why why even put put yourself at risk if you're running the ball well, moving the sticks, controlling field position, and, and killing time? And I I can't really knock Sirianni for it. You want to see see them throw the dagger, throw the big play, but they did what they needed to do to get it done. Nah, man, I'm I'm a, I'm of the the other uh, persuasion, the idea that let's 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 run this thing as much as we can. Let's try to take as much pressure off Hertz as possible. Uh, I I really enjoyed what they did in the second half, just just taking the air out of the ball. Um, so you won't won't hear anything from me. And, and, and like we said the last couple of weeks, you can win with this formula if 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 the defense isn't giving up touchdowns. And uh, and they're able to make some stops in the red zone, and the offense can can run the ball, be opportunistic, and when they pass, you you can win with this formula. Baltimore proved it a few years ago when Jackson was a rookie, um, and and it, and it and it leans into the strength of their offense, which is which is the line. So, uh, obviously, we would have loved to have seen them get to this earlier in the year. A lot of fans were calling for it. But um, I think they have something figured out here, particularly as they go into this kind of weak stretch of their schedule. You're, you're speaking more so on offense, right? Because 100% on offense. I think Gannon's a total stiff. I'd still can him. Yeah, the the defense did what they had to do do Sunday, but it it, it wasn't enough. There's not a ton of talent. You, you you won't know until they face another top tier quarterback. Which, looking at the schedule might not be till week 18 and that's might, if and that's if they play prescott 
Week 18 at home against Dallas. Dallas will probably be resting their guys with the division locked up. We might not play a, a starting NFL NFL starting caliber QB the rest of the year. Until the playoffs. Oh, boy. The playoffs. <laughs> so what, can we talk about that for a second before we, before we jump into some other aspects of this game? The playoffs, right? Um, I have, I have heard, we've been going back and forth on text. These media personalities, also these callers that are calling in the legacy media companies saying that they, they don't see any value in making the playoffs, um, that Jalen hurts already, uh, in spite of the fact that he's what started 12 or 13 games. Um, they, they know he's not the guy he's not going to, he's not going to be an MVP type quarterback, not going to be a face of the franchise type. Not going to be the type of guy that can bring you to a Super Bowl. They're already saying there's no value in making the playoffs. With a young coaching staff, with young skill players on offense, with uh, a young quarterback, no value. I mean, again, it's it's the it's the uh, the infiltration of our fan base by these process analytical losers who have never won anything in life, will never win anything in life saying that it's more advantageous for the Eagles to lose than to win. Fuck that. If you believe that, go fucking play soccer. I think that's well put, but in term in terms of the playoffs, I mean, let's let's take a look at it because after the win Sunday the Eagles are 4 and 6, leaves them one game out of the last wild card spot in the NFC. Um have the Saints at home next week. After that, they have a a, a double Double book at MetLife playing the Giants and the Jets before they head on by. Uh, then they have Washington at home, the Giants at home, at Washington, and at home against Dallas, which, like we said, might be might be resting their horses uh, come Week 18. So, with the way they're playing now, do, do they have a shot, Bob? With the way they're playing now, they have a shot to win out. I mean, that's that's how bad their schedule is. Um, will they drop a game in there? Yeah, probably. So if they drop a game, if we assume they drop a game, and this is the ultra-optimistic version, right? This is, this is assuming that the defense plays as they did yesterday. They stiffen in the red zone. This assumes that Sirianni continues to run the ball. No more injuries. Him. Say that again? No more injuries. No more injuries. This is just just pure Homer optimism. If they drop one game, that gets them to what? 10 and 7? That gets them in. Look at the teams ahead of them. They have the tiebreaker in some of these instances. Uh, the Panthers they beat, right? The Falcons they beat. They're playing the Saints. The Saints stink. That guy Simeon stinks. So I... I I wouldn't be shocked if they make the playoffs. And that would be... That would be uh, incredible... I would love to see it. I refuse to root against this team in the name of picks. Okay, that's all I want to say. Um, I would. I, I'm rooting for them to win the rest of the way, and I think it's possible. I think it's a long shot to win out, just just because of the youth, uh, both on the roster and and the coaching staff. But it, it's certainly an opportunistic schedule, and like you said, the teams in front of them—Carolina, New Orleans, Minnesota, Atlanta—they um, all stink. They're all middle of the road, and we got the extra week. We got the extra game this year. We got an extra playoff spot too. So there's going to be some mediocre teams that make the playoffs, 
So why not us? We'll we'll still get the other picks uh, from Indy and Miami, I believe it is, or somebody else. Yep. Who the hell knows? We'll still have three first round picks. And why not see what Jalen Hurts has in the playoffs? Why not see what what Devontae Smith can do uh, under the bright lights? I mean, imagine if the Atlanta Braves fans took the same approach to what happened this past year. Oh, yeah, we don't want to make the playoffs. The NLE stinks. Uh, we, uh, you know, we need picks, right? They, they got hot at the right time. They ran through the playoffs. They won the whole thing. Now, I, I get baseball's a little bit different. I get it. But if you're a fan of football in general, I'm not, take the Eagles out of it. Do you really want to watch the Atlanta Falcons in, in January? Do you want to watch the Panthers in January with their backup quarterback? Do you want to watch the Vikings, the Saints? Fuck those teams. They they all stink. I can't stand any of them. It should be the birds. I mean, well, yeah, why not why not get in? And the the other point I was going to make is people want like the highest pick possible. Well, it's not a QB draft. This is not yep. this this is not a strong quarterback class for this draft. Uh you're not going to draft a franchise QB and if you do, it'll be because you you hit the lottery on a guy like Pickett or Sam Howell or Matt Corral, like these these guys aren't Trevor Lawrence's or Justin Fields. You you, you don't know what they're going to be in the league, but you've got a guy that in Hurts uh, that's improving every week. He's got great character. He's a great leader. The one thing I didn't mention about the game either is he could have thrown three touchdowns in the first half. He threw that nice ball to Watkins, put it right in his bread basket at the end of the first half, and he dropped it. They panned the camera to Hurts. He just stood there, cool, calm, and collected. He's not throwing his hands up in the air, shaking his head. He's just on to the next play and picking up his teammate. Like, how can you not love that about the guy? The other thing I loved was just his ability to kind of get out of dodge. If you noticed, he's he's standing in more when he when he should stand in, but then in instances where he's got to scramble, he's doing a little bit of what we saw last week against the Chargers with with kind of just scrambling for a first down. But I thought I thought this week he he was looking to uh, looking down the field as he was scrambling and he wasn't backing out directly over his right shoulder to the sideline. He was kind of curling it up the field, looking down the field. I think he hit Watkins on a pass, about a 15 yarder um, on one of those types of plays. And uh, I mean, man, it's just it's just so nice to see a QB that's got a little escapability instead of that bullshit 11 that would just, you know, crunch himself in half, bend over like he's taking it from wifey and uh, and try to spin out of a sack and, and ultimately either drop the ball or lose like 11 yards. We have a quarterback who finally has some pocket awareness and has the ability to get out of dodge. And, he, and he's progressing. Like you said on that Watkins play, I don't know if it, it had to have been in the first half given that they hardly threw it in the second half, but I think it was like a 15-yard sideline rally, like an out route to Quez. And Hertz stood in there, took a huge hit, and and threw a ball right on the money. And granted, it hasn't been that all season, but you can see the progress. Like the guys is getting better, Sirianni's getting better, um, and they're they're meshing. You know, there's it doesn't seem like there's bad blood or, or any bad vibes in the air right now. And and they're four and six. Like they're they're just they're just doing this thing, and maybe they got a shot to make the playoffs. And and don't look now for all the Wentz worshippers slash Hertz haters. Take a look at the numbers, because all we heard about coming into the season was Hertz's completion percentage. He's inaccurate. What was he yesterday? Up over seventy percent. He's up over sixty-two percent on the season. 
and that was with throwing the ball 50 times a game the first the first handful of games. If they continue to play this complimentary football, he he very well could finish with a completion percentage of 65% plus, 20-plus touchdowns, fewer than 10 interceptions, and 1,000 rushing yards. I mean, that's some pretty solid production. Granted, early on in the season, I'd say anyone would argue it came during kind of that junk time. But um, on the whole, I think the guy is the type of player you, you can win with. By the way, I don't know about the uh, if you had any thoughts on the <laughs> we feel like every week we talk about the broadcast. How about them talking about Jonathan Gannon and his hero, Vic Fangio, in a game where Vic Fangio is getting shredded by uh, Sirianni and and Hurts in the running game. And they show they show Gannon with his like wraparound, uh, like cataracts glasses that, that he's rocking um, just so he can be like, you know, I don't know, anonymous to the fans uh, of Philadelphia that are out there. So he doesn't get flowers thrown at him. But, um, man, I, I don't know that I'd I'd want to be comparing Gannon to anybody, let alone the guy who uh, who got torched yesterday in Fangio. Yeah, I don't know what, what, what else Fangio has to, to his, his name or on his resume, but just, just a bizarre thing that I guess they always got to pump these coaching trees uh, and, and whatnot, but Christ, I mean, Fangio's get, getting carved up in the first half, and Gannon's got one of the worst defenses in the league, and they're talking about that that relationship. And <laughs> I guess they just they just got to find stuff to talk about to to jam it in there. But it is what it is. It's uh, it, it's funny. I'm I'm glad you called that out because I didn't catch it yesterday, and and you texted me, and I was like, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's just they they have a predetermined storyline that they want to jam in and they and they find a way to jam it in. Speaking of predetermined storylines that we need to jam in, I've got bombs bone to pick of the week here for you. Presented by Shamrock's on the officials. okay, and I'm going to talk about a specific play. Dallas Goddard with a fucking headshot from the moon. I mean. If China threw a nuke up into the atmosphere through space, I don't think it could have landed uh, any worse than than what Dallas Goddard just experienced. The guy was totally, uh, you know, no ability to protect himself. And the guy launches directly into his head with the crown of the helmet. No harm, no foul. Dallas, you're out. Go into the protocol. No fucking flag. So that's that's my bone to pick of the week. So fucking inconsistent. That was one of the dirtier shots I've seen in a while. A lot of this stuff is pretty bang, bang. And you kind of look at it, you go, ah, man, that's football. This one was fucking dirty, dude. Denver was was throwing out a, a, a number of kind of questionable hits, like along the sideline and stuff throughout the game that I, I was kind of looking for flags. And the commentators were like, oh, well, that's kind of ticky tack. It's like, well, the guy's next step is going to be out of bounds and he's getting blasted 15 yards into a Gatorade table. But yeah, the, 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 the Goddard hit, you said it, that, that was one of the worst hits I've seen this year. Like I would have thought you'd see three flags and not even go, go to review to toss the guy out of the freaking game. And you get no flags. They didn't even look at it. Goddard's hurt, misses the rest of the game. I haven't heard anything as a Monday, if he's he's concussed, I think he's concussed. But that that was that that was nasty. That that was violent, and it it, it didn't need to happen. Yeah, it was a dirt ball play. It wasn't bang bang. So yeah, I no. totally agree with you. 
you know, your point on the, 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 there were a couple runs that Hertz had where he's getting knocked out of bound, knocked over. He's already out of bounds. I mean, are we going to protect this guy? Or are we going to, are we going to give him the Cam Newton, uh, Lamar Jackson treatment? I mean, does bomb need to be the guy that's down there next week against the saints railing on the zebras? Cause I'll do it. We might need it, but no, he's not, he's not Brady. He's not Rogers. He's not. I don't even know who else they, they protect like this. Mahomes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Mahomes. But no, that Denver Denver was a little dirty yesterday all, all around. But that, that Goddard play was unbelievable. Great bone to pick of the week brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Maybe the worst hit to the head I've seen all season. And no flags, no review. Just uh, just spot the ball next play. I mean, unfucking believable so we talked about the game. We talked about the coach, the QB. Talked about the P word. Can't believe we're talking about the P word. But uh, anything else on, on the birds? Nah, man. I'm just fired up. I'm excited for Sunday. They they have the Saints at home. Um, at one o'clock or four or four twenty-five. I think it's four. Uh, let me check. Got it right here on the phone. We have it synced up to the phone. This is a one o'clock game. The other thing to look look at, and I don't know what the line is yet, but the I think Saints it's Eagles minus one and a half. I mean, I'd hammer that because the Saints played a long, drawn out, emotional game against an eight and two Titans team. They missed two extra points. They missed the two point conversion to tie the game. Really emotional game. And now you got to go home, turn around, catch an Eagles team that's just going to run the ball down your throat. Oh, 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 oh man, that's tough. It'll be a good test to see where this new kind of adjusted offensive game plan is because the Saints do have one of the better defenses in the NFL. So, I mean, I don't know how they stack up specifically against the run, but I think their secondary is very good. Um, they have but, they have a really good run defense, if I'm not mistaken, top five or top three. Um, so we'll see. But I don't know that they've played a, 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 a rushing attack that has this style running backs who just get north south and a quarterback who can move um we'll see really quickly you know how the game plan looks i think it'd be a mistake to abandon it just because the saints have a good run defense you got to play to your strengths too and um so we'll see how sirianni you know maybe he maybe he kind of gets the boys going and says guess what you know we're gonna Talk about letting your your balls hang low. We're gonna run the ball right down their throat, and we're gonna be men about it. I don't give a shit what the what what their ranking is. Yep, it's it's cold. It's November. the The hunt is on for the postseason. It's it's time it's time to get physical, get north south like like they've been doing, and no better way to test it against one of the one of the best defenses in the league. But I'll be I'll be really curious and and watching to to see how we stack up against them because. It isn't a great spot for the Saints, but they're a well-coached team and a very good defense, so it'll be a challenge challenge for the Eagles. Yeah. Anything else around the NFL Week 10? Now, the only, the only point I want to make related to the NFL and uh, kind of a tangential point for the Birds, you saw what... Uh, what the uh, what the football team did to did to the Bucks, right? Yep. You saw the Saints go on the road with a backup quarterback and nearly knock off the Titans. Um, everybody uses the bullshit cliche term, you know, this is a week-to-week league. But I think... Whoa, whoa, I use that. 
well, everybody else does too. Um, I think this is the first season I, I heard on Sunday Night Football, first season in quite some time where we're at this point in the season and there's neither an undefeated team nor a one-loss team. Every team in the NFL has at least two losses. Multiple teams have really seemingly pathetic losses, right? Like the Bills losing to the Jags, losses like that, right? So I just want to make that point related to the broader NFL picture. Because if you're the type of person that is pounding the table for picks, this might be the year where if you can get in the playoffs and get hot at the right time, be healthy at the right time relative or compared to other teams, um, some crazy shit might happen, right? So keep that in mind. I don't know what the status of uh, Brandon Brooks is. I believe he got injured like week one or week two, and it was like an eight-week recovery originally. I haven't heard any update there. Uh, we saw Dickerson go down yesterday, and and I I forget who slid in there, and then Kelsey took one one play off, and and Herbing snapped the ball into the ground. So staying healthy is is certainly important, but in a wide open year like this, um, it, it's even more important. And yeah, you you get in, any anything can happen. It's, it's been a wild year. A um, couple blowout games yesterday. You, you saw the the uh, the New England Patriots. Are they back? I, I want to talk about a couple teams that might be back. New England Patriots might be back. They blew out the Browns. Mac Jones is playing solid, spreading it around. They're running the ball. They're playing great defense. Is Belichick, is he back with with, with a younger, uh, new and renewed Tom Brady type? I don't know. They're 6-4, and four and, and they're kicking ass lately. And then on Sunday night, we saw Andy and the Chiefs right the ship, blew the doors off the Raiders in Vegas. So... Bomb, I, I think you were on the Chiefs. Not an official pick for the show, but are the Chiefs back? Yeah, they're back. Their, their biggest problem was they were forcing shit down the field all these weeks, uh, just looking for that big play. They ran the ball. The, Andy got the screen game going to uh, to Williams. Um, Mahomes looks like he was more conscientious with the, with the football. Um, they're back. Uh, I would not bet against them. Uh, I think their defense still has a lot to be desired, um, but they're opportunistic. Uh, you saw the play they made with Jackpot. Um, what so a dickhead. I, I, yeah, what a total asshole, right? Um, first of all, what kind of a guy is asking for a release from a team that's like one of the favorites in the NFC? Only Jackpot, right? Because um, he, wants, he wants his shine. He wants his... He wants, he wants to set record. He he thinks he's like Jerry Rice setting these records for like number of 50 plus yard touchdowns. Well, guess what? Last night didn't come to fruition. Coughed up the ball, coughed up the game. So glad that guy's out of here. And just to be clear, we're talking about former Eagle Deshaun Jackson. And on, on Sunday night, he caught, caught a pretty, pretty big play from Derek Carr for the Raiders. And the guy just refuses to run straight into the end zone, ends up Getting uh, getting the ball punched out, turning it over, and it, it really changed the the course of that game. I think it was early in the second half, and yep. the Chiefs Chiefs just ran away. Obviously, capitalized, and yeah, I I watched a lot of that game, and, and have to say that that was the best the the Chiefs offense looks or has looked all year, and uh, looks like years past. So if they they can keep that up, they're definitely definitely back in the mix, and their defense is what it is. But when when they're when they're clicking on offense like that, they'll just they'll just outscore you. Yeah, and by the way, I, you know, I don't know when Goddard's getting back for the Eagles, but 
that play that the Chiefs have where like Kelsey takes on a a defensive end one on one in blocking out on the edge, and they roll the quarterback out to the edge to that side, and the D end literally has to decide: Do I rush the quarterback or do I stick with with Kelsey? I mean, how do we get that play into the playbook? Because I feel like I feel like Goddard's another guy that could really really excel with something like we know he can block, we know he can catch, but like getting him in space where nobody's around him, um, provided he doesn't get cheap shotted into the dome. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see that play sneak its way into the Eagles playbook. No, nah, yeah, they're so good at getting Kelsey space and, and looks, and obviously he's a great, great player, great athlete, but my gosh, Andy, you got to give Andy credit, very creative and Sirianni's got to get, get, get in the film room and, and figure out what they're doing. Cause if Goddard's back, we got we got to feed him. He's been he's been really good, and hopefully he can only get better. But should we cut totally. it there for the NFL? Yeah, that's all I got on the NFL. All right, well let's let's just do it. Let's just go over to college. Um, you know, we'll we'll take a look at the landscape of, of the playoff and the rankings. Uh, but first, we got to touch on another debacle in Happy Valley on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, a, a sorry crowd of, of maybe 90, 95,000 fans in, in Beaver Stadium had to sit through the, the cold and, and maybe some rain. I'm not sure. Um, and and watch, watch another loss, another uninspiring performance from the Knits and a, a terrible coaching performance from James Franklin uh, as Penn State fell to, to then sixth-ranked Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh. 21-17. Um, no words. I mean, it, it's a lot of the same, but I, I just couldn't believe. And you get the fake punt in the first quarter, and, and you convert. Ultimately, you don't score a touchdown off of it. You, you get a field goal. And then later in the first quarter, you get down in the red zone again. You fake a field goal. That, that totally blows up in your face. I mean, James Franklin, like, decides this kind of stuff before the game. Like he doesn't go with the flow of the game. He doesn't, he has no feel for the game. He just picks something maybe on Wednesday or Thursday. And he says, this is what we're going to do. And he sticks with it. Um, but, but, but to, to go with two fakes on special teams in the first quarter in a game where the line is pretty much even, or you were favored by a point early in the week. And then it closed at Michigan as a slight favorite. Like the, the way he called that game early on with, with, all, all these fakes. I mean, you would have thought that they were playing at Alabama and they were 30 point dogs and they needed like a miracle to even make it a game. I mean, it, it was disgusting. And the guy is just completely clueless. Um, I mean, I, I could go on and on and, and rehash a lot of what I put out there, like after the Illinois game, but I don't, I don't know if you have anything new to bring to light on this guy, Bob. I mean, what'd you make of it? Well, I just think, Time after time, game after game, particularly in big moments uh, in the fourth quarter, this guy disappears as a head coach. Or maybe he appears. I don't know. Maybe he does appear as a head coach because we know he can apparently recruit, but somehow this team never wins big games. So you you touched on the fake field goal, the fake punt. Fake punt worked, fake field goal didn't. They're, they're in a tie game in the fourth quarter at home against a top-10 team. <clears throat> 6.45 left in the fourth quarter. Here's, here's what went down. Number one, uh, they threw the ball on six of seven plays. Clifford went one for six on those attempts. Three of those attempts, 
which were all incompletions, by the way, were to a receiver who had been targeted seven times prior to Saturday. Late in the fourth quarter, not only are you throwing the ball, you're not throwing the ball to Dotson. You're not throwing the ball to Washington. You're throwing the ball to nobody, no name. And then lastly, Clifford had uh, been sacked seven times uh, during the game, tons of hits. Uh, you, you decide that you're going to start chucking the ball around the yard. I just thought the overall kind of decision-making down the stretch was pathetic. So Michigan takes the lead up 21-17. Penn State's got the ball, what, on their own 30 with 238 left, three timeouts. Third and five, they throw the little post over the middle, the dots. And by the way, in the like double coverage, the guy gets walloped, uh, leaves the field. Seemingly with the wind knocked out on him, I guess. So it's fourth and five. They have three timeouts. I'm normally not a proponent of taking a timeout heading into a fourth down play when you have three, because the way I see it is like, let's keep the timeouts because you want to give your defense a chance if you don't pick it up. I actually thought they should have punted there and and tried to tried to stop Michigan back in deep in Penn State territory. But if you're going to go for it, if you're going to go for that there with 238, wouldn't you take a timeout to make sure that number five is on the field? Instead, they pan over to James Franklin, who's got those stupid fucking frameless glasses on. It looks like he's about to break out a book and sit by a fucking fireplace in like a snow-filled cabin. He's got those stupid fucking glasses that he wears. He's got the microphone whipped up around the, the top of his stupid fucking bald head. And what is he doing? He's not scheming something up on a, on a grease board. He's not talking to his coaches over the airwaves. He's grabbing the hoodie of a guy who's standing too close to the field on his own sideline. James Franklin was serving in the biggest moment of the game as a get-back coach. Normally, programs have a guy that's the get-back guy. James Franklin is Penn State's get-back guy. The get-back guy. I've never heard that. But, no, I think I think in, after the game, I, b- I believe he said that even if they took the time out before the fourth down play, that Dotson wasn't going to be back on the field. That's I don't fucking know. bullshit. You can yeah, determine that in 30 seconds while the play clock's dripping down? That's fucking horse shit. Yeah, I don't know if that's a rule or, or, or how that works, but clearly talked around it the other the other thing i i was reading that that brought up a good point if that if that play on third down goes incomplete and you see the dots and goes down um call timeout right away like if there's some rule that doesn't allow him back in even if you take a timeout after the fact and you see that he's down just just burn the timeout and get him on the field but there's no excuse for him to not be on the field in the biggest juncture of the game biggest play of the game um, I didn't. I didn't think about the punting scenario, but certainly could have been done. I mean, they 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 threw threw a fade that wasn't even in bounds to a guy that I think you made the point has been targeted like less than ten times this year. I mean, think about the uh, was it the, the they had a two point conversion too, right, or, or or something down near the goal line? They did. They hit Dotson on like the a dot- back shoulder to tie the game. That that was a fucking terrible play call where the best player on the field just bailed you out. Clifford managed to throw a good ball. So you throw a back shoulder fade on that particular play. And then you decide, all right, fourth and five, let's throw a back shoulder fade down the far sideline, 15 yards up the field on fourth and five. The guy never ceases to amaze me. In every big moment, 
he makes the wrong decision. And you can talk about his recruiting, but all you need to know is that against top 10 opponents under James Franklin, they're 2-12. and 12. They've lost eight straight. It's not like he's playing with a team that's like under sanctions. In many of these games, Penn State's a top 10 team too. It's hard to find a team that is this incompetent against top opponents. It's it's year eight. It's year eight, right? He's ha- had the opportunity to, to do all of his recruiting, bring in all of his guys, uh, run, run through five offensive coordinators or, or whatever it's been now. And No, you're right. And sadly, I have to correct you. James Franklin is 2-13 now against top <laughs> 10 teams, and he's lost nine in a row. <laughs> that must have been a min- mid-game stat that I that I failed to update uh, during the uh, during the loss. Yeah, don't give that guy any any benefit of the doubt. The other stat that's interesting, I read up as well. James Franklin at Penn State, he's seven and sixteen against Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. And there are people out there that are still confident that he can take this team to the playoff. I mean, it, it's a joke. And and you, you usually look at offense and, and all these like fourth down decisions and special teams decisions, but I don't know why Brent Pry gets a pass. I mean, the defense has played well some of this year, but I mean, how many times does Penn State get burned on like a little like crossing pattern when they're in man coverage and somebody runs into somebody else and the guy just takes it to, to the house? Because that's what happened in the second half uh, with Michigan. And you saw it in the game uh, the Miles Sanders and Chase Young game, the fourth and five, when Penn State had that big lead, Ohio State comes out at halftime, just throws all these crossing patterns, and the guys are running down the sideline uh, all free, scoring it up. Like It's the same issues on both sides of the ball, special teams, and it just it costs them. But you just know that it's coming. Like I'm just done. Yeah, and and there's something about the look of like Franklin and Pry on the sidelines, like like I, you know, did I have to kind of go into James Franklin's uh, uh, ocular uh, decision making with his glasses and how goofy he looks? No, I didn't have to do that. I, you know, I f- kind of feel a little bad that I made fun of James Franklin's pearl vision selections, right? But Brent Pry with his perfectly fucking coiffed hair, and he sits there on the sideline acting like he's dialing something up. He can't even fucking call a cover two. I mean, they got they got guys that run all over the field. That kid, Eric All, a tight end, was like pulling away from defensive backs. Apparently, Michigan's got the only tight end in the league that looks like fucking Travis Kelsey. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, how do you have a guy who's running away from defensive backs who's a tight end? Michigan found them. Yeah, we have we have we have all these great recruiting classes, but we have defensive backs that can't catch a tight end, and we have offensive linemen that can't block Villanova. It's like I, I don't know I don't know how how it happens like uh, how are our recruiting classes rated high I don't know I mean most of them aren't even that high they're like 15 or 20 so people talk about the recruiting thing that that that's his strength um, obviously the upcoming class is is probably going to be the best he's got but in the past like it really hasn't been that good but people talk about it like it's so good it's really not like. And and you see it in these games, the, the talent disparity. Yeah, and and you know maybe maybe the recruiting classes are good, but the guys just don't develop because that's the other argument. You have this guy Owa uh, Owe, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, who goes to goes to Baltimore after being shut out last year as a Nittany Lion. 
He's like a difference maker in the NFL on a team that's leading the AFC uh, North. I mean, is that a, is that a development slash coaching issue? Clearly the talent's there. Um, I question a little bit about quarterback. I mean, they're talking about this kid Aller next year as if he's God's gift. He's putting out highlight where he plays. But then depending upon what publication you're reading, he's not the top QB. There's other QBs that are top QBs. So like, does James Franklin have his own like recruiting service where he like has an alternate recruiting, you know, like ESPN statistics versus like Elias Sports Bureau? Like James Franklin must have some sort of an in with like this alternate recruiting sports slash service bureau where he goes, hey, man, whatever, uh, whatever guy I recruit, just just bump him up a couple spots. Give him an extra star. Oh, yeah. No, but yeah, they have Aller coming in. They have another kid coming in who I believe is the number one uh, quarterback recruit in Pennsylvania. So they have two legit quarterback recruits coming in next year. Clifford can come back. Uh, didn't didn't burn any eligibility in the COVID year. I, I don't even want to talk about that. You think about these two kids coming in that, that they have high hopes for. I mean, look at when James Franklin first came to Penn State. Who was the quarterback? Christian Hackenberg. Now, he turned out to not be so great, but his freshman year under Bill O'Brien, he was pretty good. And then Franklin came in, and, and he wasn't very good. So, I mean, have we developed any quarterbacks on, under this guy? Yeah, I mean, would 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 you be open to to Bob coming back? The Iron Lions. I mean, he turned McGloin, who was a scrub, into a serviceable quarterback in college and a pro backup. That's true. But you look at you look at Alabama after the season they had on offense last year, and now with what they're doing this year, and it's it's taking a little bit of a step back. And, and well, and I mean, they Billy lost their OC player. now. Yeah, they did, but dude. Alabama's never short on talent. So you wouldn't be in on B.O.B.? I don't think that he would come back. Like, I don't think he's a candidate. You really don't think he'd come back? No. Would you, if he was interested, would you can him for Franklin today? Would I can Franklin for him, you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Would you can Franklin for him? Yeah. I mean, that tells you all you need. Bill O'Brien's like a football guy. I feel like James Franklin is like a salesman. Yeah, used car salesman at that. Yeah, so um, yeah, nothing else there. I mean, I I can't get too worked up about it. The season season was over a while ago, but um, I I'm I'm just baffled by some of the reading that I do that people still like stand up for this guy and want him to be the coach at Penn State and like, oh well, if we go somewhere with somebody else and they're they're not as good, like do we become Miami or Texas? It's like we're already there, folks. Hey, guess what? If you think you're in a better situation than Texas, I got Texas lost to Kansas at home. Okay. I think Texas is in a better position than Penn State. They're going to the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know, but I just, it's baffling to me that people still stand up for this guy, but I'm done talking about it. The the one thing I did want want to note, I think somebody pointed it out during the game Saturday, Dan Orlovsky on the call. Oh. uh, he, 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 He's a big Wentz guy. He loves Wentz. But I think it was at some point in the game on Saturday, uh, I think he was calling the game with uh, Sean McDonough, who, who's very good. But haven't heard Orlovsky much on color, but but he he was saying in the midst of that game that Michigan is a top-four team. That's what they're showing us today. I mean, they're, they're, they're beating up on, on a pathetic 
team in the midst of like the worst run in, in program history uh, in or in recent history, the la- last two seasons, Penn State 10 and nine over the last two years. But Orlovsky saying that Michigan just edging them out. They're a top four team. No, I mean, I'm not going to waste my breath on a guy like Dan Orlovsky. Loser in college, UConn, uh, loser in the pros, ran out of the back of the end zone. He's a Wentz worshiper. And he hits you with his stupid, like, these stupid little, like, um, like when he analyzes things, there's something wrong with the cadence in which he talks. Have you ever, have you ever noticed this? I think so. Now that you're saying it, I, I can see it. Like, it's just like, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he like talks as if he's like a, uh, a youth AAU coach for basketball. And it's like, Dan, you're uh, a white guy in like a $5,000 suit talking about football. Like, come on, man. Nah, he's so bad, but I just I don't I don't know how you can you can look at that like because that wasn't an impressive win for Michigan on Saturday. No, it wasn't. I mean, the most impressive part of it was that they went into Happy Valley and they and they uh, you know kick kick kicked the shit out of Penn State and went home with a win. I mean, you know, I think a top five team uh, in theory wins that game by three or four scores. I don't think Michigan's any good. I don't think Michigan State's any good. I think the pig, the Big Ten this year stinks. Um, you got Ohio State, I think, is the class of the conference. If they win out, they're in. Michigan would be, a, you know, two loss. You'd have uh, Michigan State, I think, two losses. I think they have to play Ohio State, right? So, uh, I don't, I don't see it. No, I agree. I think the Big Ten's kind of weak this year. Although, I think Ohio State is coming around a little bit. But like, I felt that way before they played Penn State, and then Penn State gave them a game. So, and they struggle with Nebraska. So I'm not really sure, but I mean, let's take a look at, you know, the, the top tier of teams here in college and, and what transpired this weekend. Uh, you had the Georgia Bulldogs top ranked team go into Tennessee. They got tested early in that game. Tennessee hung around first quarter, a little bit of the first half. Uh, ultimately Georgia ends up winning the game 41, 17. Um, Alabama had a scrimmage against New Mexico state. Won that 59-3. Oregon beat Washington State uh, 38-24. I mentioned Ohio State uh, 59-31 over the Purdue Boilermakers, who got stuffed into that ranking last last Tuesday night by the committee. Uh, They they jam in a three-loss Purdue. Now, granted, they did beat Iowa, and they did beat Michigan State, but they've got some tough— stop it. What do you mean, stop it? They've got, like, tough losses on the schedule. How do you jam Purdue in just to give Ohio State— another ranked win for the resume that like, well, you know, that, that's exactly that, that, what they're that's doing. My, that's my point. They overrate yeah. these fucking teams. Then, then they look at Purdue and they go, Oh my God, Purdue's got the most all time wins against top five opponents. Cause the fucking league is so fucking overrated. And then they turn around and they get walloped by Ohio state. And then they'll hand Ohio state their flowers for that win. Wow. Exactly. It's yes. a, it's a self perpetuating ranking system. A hundred percent. But no, that, that, that was the point I was making. I, I didn't think Purdue should, should be in the rankings and, and be 19th, but just, just so it's such a coincidence that the week before they play Ohio state, they get jammed in there at number 19 to make it a ranked matchup. Then you got to check the line on the game. Oh, it's a ranked matchup. Might be a tight game. Ohio state minus 21. <laughs> and who cashed on that? I did. It's so it's true. A, it, it's a joke. It's a total joke. Um, Cincinnati, they played Thursday night. They beat uh, South Florida 45-28. Now, it doesn't look like a complete blowout, but Cincinnati did get out to a 31-7 lead 
in that game. Uh, never let USF within uh, more or less than 10. Um, I don't know if you had any comments there. Yeah, I got a comment. I'm calling out Kirk Herbstreet. That guy's got the balls to say that that uh, that they didn't win in convincing enough fashion against uh, uh, South Florida. Now I know South Florida is what a two-win team. They took care of business. They were up 31 to seven. They won by uh, multiple scores. I mean, come me a break. Cincinnati went on the road, beat Notre Dame, controlled the game. Okay, controlled that game. I don't want to hear about Michigan. I don't want to be here about Michigan State. If you look at what Herb Street talks, he put out his top six, and we'll talk about it when we get to our top six. But total joke, that guy is is another guy that's really just bothering me right now. And normally I'm a Herbie guy. I'm a Herbie guy too, but the last few years he's really killing me. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm just not seeing eye to eye with the guy. Um, I think we shared this on the on the Instagram, and, and I just wanted to share it. Uh, interesting tidbit about Cincinnati. You got current Central Florida coach Gus Malzahn. He used to coach uh, Auburn, won a natty with them. Knows the SEC and, and elite college football very well. Was quoted recently on Cincinnati. I've played Georgia and Alabama every year. They're right there. They're a team that can win the whole thing. Those were his comments on the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I tend to agree. We talked about last week, who was the last team to give Georgia a game? Cincinnati. We talk about the win at Notre Dame. We go on and on and, and repeat ourselves, but... Uh, Cincinnati's got to be in if they win out and it's a disgrace. And I was talking to people over the weekend and you know why they're not going to put Cincinnati in or they're doing everything that they can not to because Cincinnati will not generate the cash that Ohio state or Bama or Notre Dame will, will, will make for that playoff and the bowls and the venues and whatever. They won't make that cash that all the big names will make. And that's why they're trying to keep them out. And it's a crime. I couldn't agree more. And let me let me use a sports analogy for you here for what's going on with Cincinnati. <clears throat> Cincinnati is a uh, is a uh, a golfer that's probably a seven handicap, okay. And um, and the analogy I'll make here is when the seven handicap plays with his scratch with his scratch buddies, he plays closer towards a two or a three. When he plays with his buddies who were a 15, he plays closer to a 10 to 12. All right. I mean, Cincinnati has to go out and play these like dog shit teams week after week. And, uh, you know, it's a long season and they're winning. They're winning these games. The last game they won by multiple scores, three scores. When they play the big boys, these guys step up. Okay. So. Don't tell me that if they were in the Big Ten, they'd be a three-loss team, all right? They probably would be, but it doesn't fucking matter. It's the season that they have right now. It's the teams they played in front of them. They have beaten everybody. They've done what the committee asked them to do. Go play the big boys. They scheduled Indiana, who was supposedly supposed to be good, okay? They beat them. They scheduled Notre Dame on the road, and they controlled that game. They controlled. They didn't win. They didn't win in, like, walk-off fashion. They controlled the game. We'll just take a look at, at the rest of the uh, top 10 of the next few teams in, in last week's committee rankings. You had Michigan obviously beat Penn State. Uh, Michigan State, they beat Maryland, I want to say, this week. I didn't yeah, add this one stinks. to the notes. Maybe two, it was East Stinks. Yeah, and then obviously the, the next the next team there at number eight was Oklahoma. Uh, they fell to Baylor. Robbed bomb of his 4-0 sweep for his fade the shade picks this week. Baylor 27, Oklahoma 14. 
Uh, that leaves no undefeated left in the Big 12. Is Oklahoma cooked? Is the Big 12 cooked? Oh, Oklahoma's definitely cooked. The only way the Big 12 gets in is if Oklahoma State wins out, wins the Big 12. Um, I don't think that happens because their offense isn't an Oklahoma State offense. Granted, their defense is playing well this year, but devastating loss for OU. The bigger loss in my mind was, I mentioned it to you a couple weeks ago. I said, Baylor's the dark horse in the Big 12 if they win out. They fucking lost to TCU. They looked ahead, the classic look ahead to the Sooners. Oh, my God. I mean, if I'm Baylor's head coach, Dave Aranda, oh, my God. I'm beside myself because if they knock off TCU and win this game, they are in the mix. 100%. Um, You had Notre Dame beat Virginia 28-3 and then round out the top 10 from last week. Oklahoma State blew the doors off of TCU. And then at 11, I know I mentioned this last week as, as my dark horse a uh, potential two-loss team to get into the playoff. Texas A&M fell to Ole Miss, 29-19. So stick a fork in A&M in that pick. Um, no, don't, no, don't, don't stick a fork because, like Purdue, the committee will keep them very highly ranked. So the, so the Alabama loss looks, uh, looks uh, not so bad. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Notre Dame, who lost to an undefeated Cincinnati, who's highly ranked, uh, buried in the rankings. That's a good point. Yeah, they'll keep all they'll keep all the old misses, Mississippi States, AMs, Auburns, Arkansas. They'll, they'll all have a number next to the name. Of course. It's what they do. Um but yeah, I mean, an, anything else on on the college front that, that you wanted to point out, or should we should we stack them up again? Let's stack them up. I also want to throw in uh throw in Herbie's. So what we'll you know, we'll do exactly what we did last week. We'll th- talk about the committee where we had uh, these teams coming into the week. We'll talk about uh, where Herbie's got them, and then we'll, we'll rank them. How's that sound? Are right, you going to lead the way with Herbie? No, no, no. Lead the way with, with, with last week. All right. You want me to? Go ahead. All right. So last week, the committee ranked the – I'll go top ten for us. Just ran through the games. Committee had Georgia at one, Bama two, Oregon three, Ohio State four, Cincinnati five, Michigan six, jumping Michigan State at seven, Oklahoma eight, Notre Dame at nine, and Oklahoma State at ten. That was before week eleven play in college football. Yep. And you got you got Herbie's top six now after week eleven? Herbie's top six after week eleven. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Oregon. Number four. Ohio State. I can't say I feel strongly about any of those. I'd say they seem to make sense. Um, I don't necessarily want to hammer him for those. His next two. His next two. Michigan at five. That's a complete disgrace. They should be given no credit for beating that horrible Penn State team and they should have never jumped Michigan State in the committee's rankings last week. Just a week removed from a head-to-head loss, and I think they beat Indiana the following week, or they beat Mm -hmm. some shit team after they lost to Michigan State, and they flip-flopped them. Yep. Um, Number six, Oklahoma State. That one I didn't hate. 
my hatred isn't isn't the isn't the Oklahoma State pick. My hatred is you have Michigan at five, who lost to Michigan State. So where do you have Michigan State? You have Michigan State at seven, Herbie. Would love to know, but we talked about jamming Purdue and in, into the top twenty-five for Ohio State last week. You know what they're trying to do now is they're trying to pump up the game. They're trying to pump Michigan oh. up as far as they can. Pump Ohio, pump Ohio State up as far as they can because the last week of the regular season, even though Michigan hasn't won it in 10 years since 2011, they want to pump up the game, the biggest game of the year, Michigan State, Ohio State, or Michigan, Ohio State, excuse me. It's never a fucking contest. It hasn't been a game in 10 years. It probably won't be a game this year, but you know that Herbie, all these CFB honks and the committee are going to jam it so that those two teams are ranked so high for that game. My question to Herbie is, where's Cincinnati? I mean, that, that's a, that's obviously a joke, too. Where's Notre Dame? I, I don't, yeah, I hear you. I don't mind the Oklahoma State pick. Um, Oklahoma State is, is playing some good ball. They just absolutely annihilated TCU, and their defense has been holding teams to, to not many points. Who the fuck points. is TCU? They they lost to Iowa State. I mean, they just beat your Baylor Bears the week before. They lost to Iowa. Well, yeah, TCU. But I'm saying, uh, uh, Oklahoma State. They lost to Iowa State by field goal. Okay. Who else did they play? Well, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at at the recent performance since the loss. They've been blowing the doors off. They blew out Kansas. Obviously, Kansas stinks. stinks. They blew out West Virginia, middle Stinks. of the road, Big 12 team, blew out TCU. They stink too. But they have, uh, I think they have Iowa State this week, and then they have Oklahoma, and then they could potentially have Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championships. So they're going to have their chance as well. But I, I they're going to lose to Oklahoma. Yeah, they probably will. Fucking lock that in. Bet the house on Oklahoma in the uh, in Bedlam. Okay. Um, but I, I'm not here putting Oklahoma State in front of Cincinnati. That's not what I'm doing no, or, or no. lobbying for. Michigan in front of Michigan State and Michigan in front of Cincinnati and Michigan in front of Notre Dame? Get the! I want to see Notre Dame versus Michigan next week. Next fucking week. Schedule the damn game. All right, let's, let's get to our rankings, huh? Yeah. All right, you, you lead us off this week. All right, no surprise at the top. We got the Georgia Bulldogs at number one, convincing win against Tennessee. They are going to, frankly, I don't know how you, how you feel about this. Even if they lose the SEC title game, I still got them at one. Um, you know, towards the end of the season, you know what I mean. If they're if they're undefeated coming into the SEC title game and they lose to Bama, I still got I still got Georgia at one, just based off of the fact that they've just blown everybody out. Probably would be the best loss, too. Yeah. Number two, Alabama. Number three. Now, number last week I had uh, – I had uh, I'll take you through what I had last week just to give people uh, a sense here. Uh, last week I had Georgia at one. I had Oklahoma at two. I was putting a premium on being undefeated. I had Alabama at three. I had Cincinnati at four. I had Oregon at five, and I had Notre Dame at six. So this week, obviously, Georgia at one. Oklahoma drops out. Alabama slides up from three to three to two. Cincinnati slides over from four to three. And my final team in 
in this week for bomb CFP picks. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. In I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Cheer, cheer for all Notre Dame. <laughs> Wake up the echoes, folks, because I'm putting a premium on Cincinnati. Notre Dame's loss was to Cincinnati. It's the best loss in my bracket. So Notre Dame's in at four. I hate to do it to Oregon. I mean, they played, they won the game against, against Wazoo. But that was tight early on. They didn't look great. They didn't look great against Washington. Washington canned their coach the next week. Um, so I hate to do it to the Pac-12. Fuck them. They're out. Ohio State at five. Number six, I got Oklahoma State. I like it. I like it. So run, run through it quickly one last time for us to round it out. Just to round it out, we got Georgia at one. We got Bama at two. At number three, we have an undefeated Cincinnati. At number four, we have Notre Dame. Number five, we have Ohio State. Number six, we have Oklahoma State. Love it. Thanks, Bob. Right, let's take a look at what I had last week. Uh, through week 10, I had Georgia at one, Oregon two, Cincy three, Ohio State four, Alabama five, and the sad Oklahoma Sooners at six. Can kiss them goodbye because this week, obviously got Georgia at one. Give me Cincinnati at two. Pump them up there. Wow. They had control of that game very early. Didn't look as big of a blowout uh, with the final score. But between that, you know, Gus Malzahn sold me a little bit. And then uh, my third my third ranked team, who was my second ranked team last week, uh, dropping them to three, the Oregon Ducks. I got them down at three. And I think, I think this trend is going to continue. I think they continue to fall. I, I, I'd have to look. I think the game is in Utah, but Oregon plays Utah on Saturday. They're a three-point dog. You're kidding me. I think the Pac-12 might be cooked after this weekend coming up. If they're a three-point dog, you have to hammer Utah, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Utes. Go Utes, baby. Shout out to our first and only guest, Ali D, out in Utah, the Utes. Yo. Fourth. So I got Georgia, Cincy, Oregon. Number four, I got Ohio State. I think I had them there last week. We'll just keep them there. And I'm keeping Bama at five. 59-3 against New Mexico State. That doesn't change anything. They'll have an opportunity to show that that they're gearing up uh, for the end of the season for the SEC championship. Talent-wise, they're probably number two. But in my rankings today, they're number five. Number six, I'm with you, Bob. I got Oklahoma State playing great defense. They're taking care of business. They're blowing people out. Um, I'm not sold on Michigan. I'm not sold on on Michigan State anymore. You look at Ohio State, Michigan State this weekend coming up at the shoe. Ohio State opens as like a 19-point favorite. Clearly shows what Vegas thinks of Sparty there. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that's that's my top six. I, I, I understand the love for, for the Irish, you know, they might be at seven for me instead of uh, Michigan and, and Sparty, but I don't have them up there yet, but but I respect what they're doing. They're taking care of business as well since since the loss to Cincinnati. So, so run, run through it again for the people. Week 11, I've got Georgia, Cincinnati, Oregon, Ohio State, Alabama, and Oklahoma State. We'll get more rankings from the committee. 
tonight, Tuesday night. See if see if any pieces move around. Um, with obviously the the only loss being Oklahoma, right in the in the top top eight. So obviously they're going to drop, but I think everybody else pretty much took care of business. Yeah, but you, they got to get Cincinnati in. It's highway robbery. Yeah, and you got to. I mean, if you're Cincinnati, you're rooting for Georgia. Uh, you're rooting for. Would you be rooting for? You're rooting Mich- for Utah. You're rooting for Utah on Saturday. Rooting for Utah. Are you rooting for Michigan? Well, Michigan only has one loss, so Michigan still, you know, if they beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten championship, then they're in. You're you're rooting for Michigan State this weekend, maybe. Yeah. Or no, you're probably rooting for Ohio State to beat Michigan State, and then Michigan to beat Michigan State, or Michigan to beat Ohio State. I can't even talk. I mean, there's there's multiple routes in for for Cincinnati, but just the level of disrespect that you know they'll find some other excuse to put another team in ahead of them. Um, this is not a playoff. This is an invitational. Um, you know, frankly, and then and then and then you know the thing that really bothers me too, and not not to go off on on the committee and and ESPN. So I log on to ESPN today, and uh, hidden behind a paywall is uh, on ESPN Plus is a a, a big story about what a uh, what a four, what an eight, what a sixteen, and what a twenty-four team playoff would look like. Do you want to watch twenty-four teams? In a college football playoff? No, thank you. I mean, at this point, I'm I'm ready to just bring back the fucking BCS. Yeah, I mean, was there really that many years where they didn't didn't get it right with the BCS? The only year you could really argue was the year Auburn had Jason Campbell. That was a year, and then. What was the year? Didn't Penn State finish 3-1 year? Was that the Robinson year and they beat Florida State in the Orange Bowl? Was that the same year that uh, Vince Young beat USC in the Natty? I think so. Yeah. Uh, 05, right? And But the thing is, Penn State could have taken care of business. They got they got jobbed by the by the Zebras. Uh, Paterno clearly didn't work the officials. Lloyd Carr did at the big house. Who caught that? Was that... Um, was it been- Manningham? It was Manningham. I thought the same thing, man. Chad Henney to Manningham. We have to check that. I don't know if that's 100% right, but that's oh, that dude, was, they that's were, my first guess. Go back on YouTube. If you're a Penn State fan, go back on YouTube and just watch the final few minutes of that game. They were putting time back on the clock. There was like multiple multiple situations where like Michigan was like, particularly in the final minute, getting seconds put back on the clock. Yeah, now they, I don't know what what the solution is to to all this. Um, I think if you want to, you know, not bitch too much and and cop out and take the easy way out, which is not, which is what I'm about to do. Like the the national champion is is usually right, like in the championship game. So even though we argue and bitch and moan about who gets in the top four like the teams that ultimately make the championship game in the winter it's usually right and deserving so if you if you were 
Let me ask you this, because this would be a good question. If it was the BCS, right? Let's assume Georgia finish, finishes undefeated and they win the SEC. That means Bama has two losses. Right now in the AP, Bama's at two. Cincinnati's at three. If we're just going off the AP, you'd be looking at, in theory, a Georgia-Cincinnati championship game. I would absolutely love that. Both undefeated. And these pricks that are the athletic directors for these Power 5 schools that are running this committee don't even have Cincinnati in the fucking playoff. It's a joke. We'll see if they if they fix it or shake it up Tuesday night. Yeah, we'll see. And you know what? ESPN, I'm 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 sick and tired of their act, have been sick and tired of their act. I don't know if you so you know, first of all, they changed the times for these for these uh, uh the the playoff things. So the the one week it was what, seven PM, right? Like it's a like it's Aaron Nola versus uh, you know, uh, Jacob deGrom, like on a Wednesday afternoon in the summer, seven oh five Eastern for the committee. The next week, I, I, I uh, flip on the TV. It says 9 o'clock. All right, fair enough. I'll crack open another beer. Don't need to twist my arm. Meanwhile, I'm watching a fucking basketball game on, on ESPN that goes to 9.30. Come to find out, these, these assholes are, are, are doing, the, doing the picks. They're in MSG. They're doing it at MSG in the nosebleeds. You have the college guys on set at a at a college basketball college football guys on set at a college basketball game, and uh, and don't get me I mean they had the balls to create a brand new graphic that included seven teams last week just to hype the fact that Michigan jumped Michigan State that should be that you they should be thrown in fucking prison. Yeah, I think we said it on the Instagram that, that that was criminal. I mean, how do you just pull that out for the first time in, in committee or, or college football playoff history? I've never seen the top four and then the next three. It's always the top four and the next two. Like, I kind of thought of it as like a sympathy thing for Michigan State. Like, hey, you you guys beat Michigan, but you lost to Purdue. And we're going to flip-flop you because of it, but we'll, we'll leave you in the main picture. Yeah, I mean, it was it was totally to pump the ratings, and uh, and we'll see this week. Where do you see though? You you mentioned it about Purdue. They'll put a higher premium, like they'll they'll talk about Ohio State beating Purdue, right? And they'll say, "Wow, what a great win against Purdue!" And then the loss that Michigan State has to Purdue will be like a terrible loss. It's a great win, but a terrible loss. Yeah, the loss knocked down Michigan State last week. But now you watch Tuesday night that that win for Ohio State over Purdue is gonna have them jump over Oregon. Just watch. <laughs> We're gonna fucking clip this and post it Tuesday night after the rankings when that fucking happens. <laughs> Dude, it's so bad. I mean, the best part is the Cincinnati fans just fucking they hate it. I don't know if you saw. I shared it on the story. They uh they spray painted a a, a car uh, with the CFP logo and people were just taking baseball bats to it. Right, right, gratefully so. Good for them. I mean, it, it's a disgrace. It, they they got to they got to work their way in. And I, I'm waiting, I, I not, ultimately not that I, I never think advocate for this, but uh, I'm waiting for uh, some lunatic, unhinged Cincinnati fan to pull a Christmas vacation, cousin Eddie, and like uh, kidnap the uh, you know the, the committee chairman and, and and 
and basically bitch at him for uh, giving Cincinnati a, a jelly of the pass, a jelly of the month pass instead of a pass to the playoff. Oh my God. We're calling on that Cincinnati fan. We need you. No, no, no. Don't I, I, I disavow. I have nothing to do with that, but <laughs> I mean, Christ, imagine if it was the Philadelphia Eagles, that fan exists somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We, we, we're, we're not affiliated. Sorry. All right, I, th- I think that about does it. We'll uh, we'll we'll cap the college football talk there and, and look forward to the rankings Tuesday night and and some more games to come on Saturday. Obviously, the big one being underdog Oregon, top four Oregon, going to be an underdog Saturday. Could be a real shake up in the rankings, but we'll look forward to uh, to week twelve in college football. Um, Bob, I don't know if you if you had anything else you wanted to get into. Uh, I just briefly kind of wanted to touch on the Flyers. Uh, Tough week in the past week. They're at 7-4-2 and two through 13 games, but tough loss to Toronto Wednesday night. Uh, they go to Carolina, play the Hurricanes, one of the top teams in this early season, and Carter Hart stood on his head. Team didn't really deserve to win, but they pull out a 2-1 win there. And then Saturday night, back-to-back, they fly to Dallas uh, and get beat down by the Stars. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't win a game against a, a team like Carolina. You I mean they stole they stole that game. Hart stole that game, and then and then you play Dallas, who who who's really struggling, and you lose. I mean, you gotta follow that up with a win. Yeah, you know, I think it was tough to start the week at home after a nice little layoff, and just they kind of completely laid an egg against Toronto. I mean, no chances. Obviously, got shut out, and uh, Toronto took it to them, and. The other thing that sucks is Saturday night against Dallas, they get Kevin Hayes back. Great to see. They get Ryan Ellis back. It's Monday. They had a day off Sunday, so no news. Monday they come out and say Ryan Ellis is out again, week to week. Oof. Sounds like the Philadelphia Eagles training staff. Prize pickup of the offseason. And uh, I think he's played maybe four or five games now, and we're probably not going to see him for a little while. I don't know. I didn't get any detail, but I don't know if they're going to go surgery or, or what's going to have to happen. But that's kind of a big blow because they weathered the storm nicely without him and Hayes early on. But the uh, you can see that the the play on the ice is is starting to lack, and they're leaning on the goalies. And at some point, that's going to give. Wow, what type of injury is it? Have they said? No, they don't specify. It's like upper body, lower body, lower body, UBI, LBI. <laughs> um. But no, I, I got a bone to pick with myself, or a bone to pick myself this week. Um, so we'll, we'll bring another one presented by Shamrock Sun. And I'm sitting to watch this game Wednesday, right? And they're playing Toronto in Philly. And whenever the, the teams from Canada come in, they do the Canadian, anth- Canadian anthem. They do the national anthem, right? The Flyers have been trotting out Lauren Hart for, for how long? I mean... Forever. And then in the playoffs, they, they trot out the Kate Smith video, who was the anthemist. Oh, I don't Stanley think they trot Cup. that video out anymore, my friend, do they? Oh, they might not. The You're statue right. was torn. I'd like to think some somewhere, somehow, Kate Smith's statue is next to Joe Pa's statue. I mean, wouldn't you like to go to that 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 uh, that museum? The stat, It would be like Robert E. Lee, Kate Smith, Joe Pa. Like, imagine taking a couple photos next to those statues. Unbelievable. I totally forgot about that. But the, the point is more the, the presentation of of the anthem, right? And and I just you hear Lou Nolan over the PA 
welcome to the ice, our very own number one ranked anthemist in the NHL, Lauren Hart. And like, you know, it's like, that's like dead silence. And she sings the anthems and, and I got nothing against Lauren Hart. Good singer. But, you know, I look, I look, I watch a lot of hockey, right? And you look around the league, you look at Vegas and their, their pregame show and they got a uh, golden pipes. He gets the people going. And then you look at Boston. They have that guy, uh, Todd Angeles, like the the burly dude. He used to be like a bartender on the concourse. Now he sings. They they get all fired up. Like it just inspires no energy at the Wells Fargo Center and doesn't do it for me. So you're gonna put that on Lauren Hart? Who are you putting this on? I'm just putting it on the Flyers themselves for not like revamping and just sticking with the same old shit. Do you think maybe the Flyers need to talk to the Eagles pregame guy and maybe they can get get the Rocky video for the for the Flyers? Rock, rock, Rocky. <laughs> but dude, like I just I look around the league. I mean, when Chicago was on those runs, they had um you know the the crowd sings along with Jim Cornelison. Place is going nuts. Um, you look at the playoffs last year. The Islanders had that girl. I believe her name's Nicole Revive, and like the whole stadium sung along. And, like, people are juiced up, ready to go. Like, you wonder why the Flyers come out flat? We got no juice in these anthems in the pregame. Maybe they got to maybe they got to get a little more a little more celebrity uh, power here, a little more celebrity juice from from the singer. Maybe you got to I don't know. I mean, she's hot in the streets this week, folks. She's got to I mean, she's one of the only singers I know that she drops an album 10 years ago and then drops the same album again. And is making oodles and oodles of money. She sang the the national anthem at the Phillies World Series uh, against the Rays in 2008. Do we need a pre-recorded Taylor Swift to come in for her hometown Philadelphia Flyers? Maybe she wears like a Drexel Hill sweatshirt. You know what I mean? Or or maybe so, maybe like Ridley. Uh, you know, in the same way that she had the Sea Isle sweatshirt on in one of her music videos. What do you think? Do we need somebody with more star power than Lauren Hart? Like I said, I don't want to pin it on Lauren, you know? <laughs> like, I don't think that that Todd Angeli or Carnell Johnson holds, like, any more stock than than Lauren Hart. But there's maybe it's the fans. Maybe it's the, the building or the setup. Um, I, I just don't know, but, like, I watch these other games and the, their anthems and I'm fired up. I watch ours and I'm like, all I can relate this anthem to is just losing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like uninspired, uh, no juice in the building, no juice in the play. Like we, we, we just, I think it's something that, that needs to be revamped. Yeah. What you're saying is there's a little more production value from the other organization. No, hang on. Let me get that right. Organizations organizations um a little more production value from the other organizations uh, as it relates to the to the pregame and the anthem and it's like a you're right i mean they build up to the anthem and it's like it's like a performance it's like you know you're ready to go you're ready to run through a wall and uh you know for the flyers it's more like this happy-go-lucky family friendly little johnny you just bought him a a chocolate covered ice cream you know uh, you know, little Jenny, you just got her a little bucket of crab fries and dad just sat down with a 24 ounce Labatt blue that he just got popped 22 bucks for. And it's like, yeah, we're just happy to be here as we get fucking shut out by the Maple Leafs on a Wednesday night, three, nothing. And, and maybe, maybe it's 
it's more noticeable or or is more applicable come come playoffs because you know it's it's November it's football season the place isn't gonna have that much juice especially for Toronto I mean they're they're a big team in the league but not one of the rivals but I mean even even in the playoffs the times we've gotten there in the the last five ten years you know they make it every other year but it, it brings no juice and you watch these other games and they're clipped they're on YouTube and Instagram and it's not even my team and I'm jacked up. Well, so. I think uh, I've had this theory for a while. I think the Flyers need a new goal horn. I don't think the goal horn is deep enough. It's a very shallow uh, uh, horn. Um, you know, think about uh, think about all the ships that are off the coast in California that are just you know kind of anchored up, waiting to come into come into port and drop off all their cargo. Not one of those ships has a flyer's goal horn. They have a very deep horn. Okay. So I think some of it is too, like the, uh, the, the celebrations that the flyers have their goal songs stink. Their goal horn stinks. Um, you know, the pregame stinks. There's not enough juice out of the production. Yeah. And I think it gets back to like, it's not it's not Lauren Hart. Like it's it's the production. It's it's the entire it's the entire evening or the entire day at the game. And I you you think, well, they want to hang on to tradition. They talk about tradition and being a historic franchise. Well, guys, we haven't won since like nineteen seventy five. So what is there to fucking hang on to? We gotta switch it up. Need some new juice. But no, I, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. They and you know, you try they tried to add a little juice with gritty. Um, who I don't have any complaints about. You got the ice girls. I got no complaints about. I think it's, you're right. I think it's the audio and visual production. I think it, it needs to be scaled up. Yeah. So sorry, Lauren Hart. It's not personal, but we, we, we just need some more juice, more juice in the game. And that's, that's my bone to pick this week as I laid on my couch and watched the pregame and yawned. Uh, as the anthems went on. Anything else to touch on this week, Bob? I don't know how much more we could talk about here, G. I got nothing for you. All right, man. Well, I guess we'll shut it down. We'll look forward to we'll look forward to next week. Obviously, we'll look forward to some new and improved uh, fade the shade picks on the Instagram this weekend. Uh, obviously, shout out to Menard Premium Detailing. Shout out to Shamrock Sun. Shout out to everybody that listens. Um, you know, we're coming along, getting some good reviews, some good feedback. Um, just really, really appreciate the support. And uh, with that, we'll leave you, and we'll talk to everybody next week. So take care.